You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. In today's episode, we are speaking to Amber Valletta. You might know her as a supermodel, actress, activist. She's worn many different hats, both on and off camera, but she's also playing the role of sustainability ambassador to a number of partners, including brands like Karl Lagerfeld and magazines like British Vogue, even New York City's FIT. In this episode, we talk about the joys of creativity, her love for the fashion industry, her passion for continued education so that she can make a greater impact along the way, and also the challenging task of reconciling the seeming disparity between a traditional growth model and a sustainable one. This is Amber Valletta, and we're speaking about what's contemporary now. So, Amber Valletta, I mean, your name evokes thoughts of fashion, beauty, and an incredible career. And you've spent a great deal of your life collaborating with some of the most brilliant minds, obviously enjoying that process along the way. But at what point in that journey did you start to realize the impact that fashion was having on things like the environment? Well, I had a kind of a feeling of disconnectedness when I was in my early 20s, kind of the beginning of the bigness of my career, modeling and super busy and everywhere at once. And I just felt this sort of disconnectedness and I couldn't really put my finger on it. And so I started very slowly looking at stuff outside of work, outside of modeling that kind of filled me as a person. And one of those was education and the environment. So I started going to NYU and I took some classes that were geared towards the environment. And at the same time, Vice President Al Gore was speaking a lot about, well, he started speaking about, they weren't even calling it climate crisis yet. It was more like they were talking about the ozone layer and and climate issues, I should say. And then that conversation started picking up pace. And then I was learning more and more. So um, I, I stepped away from fashion when I was 25 to pursue acting and to have my son. And actually, I should flip that around to have my son and pursue <laughs> acting. And when I did that, and I moved to Los Angeles, I really started understanding more and more some of the issues we were facing within climate change. And I started working with some NGOs. And one in particular was working inside the fashion industry, the NRDC, and they were doing something called Clean by Design. So I started hearing this information about the environment connected to what fashion industry was doing specifically. And, you know, first it was pointing fingers way across other parts of the world and coming to realize, obviously, that so much of the responsibility is on all of us and throughout the supply chain and throughout the industry. And so when I decided to come back to fashion a few years ago, I had already started a platform called Master and Muse that was for responsibly made fashion. When I started doing that, I really needed to match my values to what I was doing for a career. And that was with acting, it was with modeling, it was with anything that I'm going to do and spend my time doing. The lens in which I look through is environmental justice and social justice. So that's kind of the long, short version. <laughs> well, I would also imagine that it can be quite tricky navigating that path and pursuing activism and educating yourself on these things while also still engaging with the industry and working with different brands? How mm. does one sort of walk those roads simultaneously? Mm. Well, I think naturally I'm a 
fairly diplomatic person. I am very tenacious and have strong beliefs, but I am also really sensitive. So balancing all of those things makes me look at different aspects of my work in different ways. I'm really lucky. I have a great team. (laughs) You know, I think we're very discerning on where I, I put my time and my image. And more and more those questions are being asked, like, what is their sustainability compliance like? And what is their social responsibility compliance? And if someone isn't in that line of thinking, how can I have a conversation with them to see how I can help them get on this path, make a connection to an NGO or make a connection to a university or make a connection to you know, a new material that's coming out or a brand that's maybe already on this path. How can I amplify what they're doing? And sometimes it's not possible. And there's jobs that we just just have to say no to because they just don't align with any values that that I have. Certainly when I first started this journey and coming back into fashion and making this my priority, it was challenging. And I'm sure I lost a lot of work and a lot of people rolled their eyes. But It has, I think, created a space for me in which I can be more creative Mm -hmm. and more helpful and more satisfied in my career and given me more longevity in a lot of ways because this is the way business is turning. This is the way the world is changing. We're becoming socially and environmentally aware and we see that collaboration is the key to all of this change. And so... I think that in turn has probably helped me to stay relevant in a way that's not just about looks. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a very fair point. I I was going to ask you, at what point was it that you found clients, be it brands or creatives or different people that you've worked with, were starting to pursue your participation for that reason? Like, Mm -hmm. at at what point did you find Mm -hmm. people really wanting to leverage your credibility in that space? You know, it started out, with just like a uh, really insular group of people that are still at the table talking about these issues, the charities or organizations or NGO type or B2B conferences or sustainability panels. And that kind of was immediate. It's a small community and it's grown exponentially in the last few years. Mm -hmm. But initially there weren't a lot of people even in fashion to bring to any of these sort of business conferences about social responsibility and and environmental responsibility. So I was asked very early on to start speaking on these issues. And then in turn, I think when you've been talking about something and sharing something for so many years, at some point people start hearing, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) or the environment changed, meaning the attention that we were giving to these subjects became relevant more. And I would say it's it's really picked up speed in the last five years. But I think that's because everybody's talking about it. Climate crisis is here. It's not something far off in the distant future. It's already happening. And we've seen and experienced all of the changes in conversations around diversity and equitable living wages for people and things like that. These conversations are very relevant today. And you know, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of all that. Yeah, I mean, I was... Or not all of it, but <laughs> some of it. A large part. <laughs> I was reading a recent study saying that 56% of Gen Z and 55% of millennials 
claimed that they would leave their job or not even accept a position at a company if it didn't align with their views on social environmental issues. So that, to me, really brought the whole conversation around consumers being more informed to the next level. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's mm -hmm. if it's affecting the jobs people are willing to take, then clearly it's definitely become a part of the conversation. So through the lens of progress, do you feel like we've made big jumps in recent years in terms of the overall pivot that companies are making towards becoming more sustainable in their practices? I think, yes, I do. I, I do think we've made a lot of progress. Like I said, you know, a decade ago, nobody was having this conversation. I was speaking into a vacuum, basically. <laughs> it's like, you know, it was just such a small audience. And today it's a very big conversation. You know, it's gone from a, a little topic to being one of the most, I mean, I think the biggest conversation that we are having right now is about social justice and, and climate justice. And if you're not talking about it and you're not thinking about it, then you're not doing something right. And I think companies are getting pressure to, and businesses and government to make these big pivots. And do we need to do a lot more? Yes. Have we come a long way? Hell yeah. But we do have a lot more work to do. But I am optimistic. I really am. Even though there was a huge report that came out that was saying that we're already in the midst of climate change and we have a very small window to curb our carbon offsets. You know, it is a, a small window, but I do believe that our industry has an enormous responsibility and an, an enormous potential to really make radical changes in the way we do business and therefore affecting so many other industries and government and legislation. Do you think that we're living in a time where things like greenwashing and virtue signaling are still a real issue? Or do you feel like the demand for transparency has really caused people to level up in their game? Mm. Oh, I think it's both. Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's both. People want authenticity. You see it so much from Gen Z and they can really read through bullshit. And I would say even millennials and my generation. Greenwashing, it's either going to set you up for failure or it's going to set you up in a way that you're obliged to follow what you're saying you're doing. The flip side is there are a lot of people who are authentically doing it and they're really trying to find solutions. And the more we talk about it and the more we're transparent about what we're doing instead of trying to do it perfectly, I think the better. Because I just don't think there's enough information being shared about what people are actually doing. And that's sad because you can't support, you know, a brand or a company if you don't really know what they're doing. If they're scared to do it perfectly, and that's why they're not really talking about what they're doing, I think that puts us all in kind of like a setback position, which isn't good. So I really encourage brands and, and companies to be transparent as much as they can be, even if they're not doing it perfectly. Yeah, it definitely, I think, intimidates a lot of people to make any type of marketing messages to cause orientated only because it's almost as though they can't perform to the extent that the consumer demands because we're just not there yet. I mean, from, a right. you know, but but our perfectionistic mentality is causing paralysis and it's causing negative like it it doesn't actually create solutions. We don't create solution from being in this sort of like negative 
like mentality. We create solution from saying, okay, here's what I'm doing. Because the more you know, and the more you understand, then the easier it is to make changes. I think that's something that's really missing right now in culture in general. I'm not saying that everything is admissible and that should be forgiven in the sense like everything goes. I don't mean that at all. But what I mean is that as soon as we create this thing, this limitations around perfectionism, we won't get things done. We don't have space to make mistakes because we're human beings. And I think we're seeing that a lot right now. Again, I'm not giving admission to like pollute the environment. I don't mean that at all. But what I'm saying is you have to understand where you've been to know where you're going and to make it okay to have not done it the right way then because you didn't necessarily know better. That's how we learn. So well said. In my opinion. No, so, so, so well said. I mean, it also reminds you that optimism is such a fundamental driver behind creating any real change because if you can't see beyond what is to what can be then mm -hmm. you know you don't really have a great deal of fuel behind whatever it is you're trying to achieve and you'll just continue to repeat the same thing day in and day out absolutely not to put you on the spot um but i do <laughs> i do want to ask you what your thoughts are given that fashion is an industry when you're looking at lessening negative impact from an industry that we all you know love adore and enjoy while also understanding that it's primarily built in a growth strategy type of a way. Mm -hmm. What are some of the examples of changes you think we can be making already to strike that balance? Mm. Well, I think the question for all of us is to ask is how much is enough? Mm -hmm. And then can we create with what we already have? And what does ever expanding growth look like and why? Mm -hmm. Because there's so much that's not getting used annually. And not just clothing, everything, everything, electronics, cosmetics, furniture, cars, you name it. Well, I get, think there's a shortage of cars right now, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you name like almost anything, there's an excess amount and stuff goes into landfill, new or old. And I think that's a, a very important question to be asking all of ourselves, like personally. How much is enough? And then thinking about our economic system in a different way, we're still using like an industrial system mm -hmm. and it doesn't match where we are today. We're in a technological system now. Everything is based on technology just about. I mean, even the lighting in your home is not analog hardly, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a smart home. So to me, it's really about redesigning systems and thinking like, okay, the earth is a system within itself in which we work and not that the financial system is the be-all, end-all. The environment is the be-all, end-all because that's the system in which we live mm -hmm. in. But for some reason, we flip-flopped it. We think the earth is like this resource for us like in perpetuity to take as much as we want, anytime we want, leave whatever we want. And we don't realize that we live in its system. And in order for us to continue to live and thrive, we have to live within its means. And we're not living within our means. We're like greedy, overweight, addicted brats. <laughs> <laughs> Present. And that, you know, I mean that in a loving way, but like we are not thinking about that. And that's the biggest thing. And so growth, I think, is possible, but it doesn't need to necessarily be in the way we're thinking. We could think about it in wellness. So if we become a really circular industry, 
we start using all of our waste as a new source for materials and designing in a way where things are just reused or they become a bionutrient. But we're not thinking like that. Right now we're just take, dis discard, take, discard, throw it out. It just goes somewhere. It doesn't matter where. And that's when I talk about the system. It's thinking about the system that we have, not what we've imagined, this other way of being that just doesn't work. Fair. I mean, some people do think that capitalism is the culprit behind so many of these global issues and that in... It is. But do you... <laughs> <laughs> but... I would say yes. Yeah. And I wouldn't just say capitalism. Mm -hmm. I think it's not just capitalism because capitalism is really Western. Mm -hmm. It's the global market in which we work in talking about, you know, the economic system. That's why I don't think it's just capitalist. I think it's part of the same big monster. Do you think that it's naive to imagine a future where it's not necessarily replacing the system of capitalism as much as it is leaning in on technological innovation around different processes that make it more sustainable, that just sort of reinvent the system that way? Mm, I think you also have to change the way you think or how you believe like the world to be. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more than a conversation. It's a re-education. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that technology can solve everything because I think the natural world has so many solutions. We've just moved away from it. And I think that if we go back to what's been the source of life for billions of years, it's way more intelligent than we are. These systems, you know, these natural systems have been working way longer. And they're seemingly still able to contain what we've been destroying. So I kind of think the intelligent system is right here already. We're just not paying attention to it. We're just putting our attention somewhere else in things that we think matter more. And in fact, I think if we go back to basics, we probably have all the solutions already here. But don't you feel as though that? would require a great deal of reversing social programming? Oh, yeah. That's why I said re-educating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's totally possible, but I, I don't think technology is the answer to all of it. To me, it would be reprogramming the way we think to look for the answers that we already have. Because the Earth, how many times have we gone through a reincarnation? Is it three times with the dinosaurs, the meteor, and then um, is it two or three times? Um, I plead the Somebody's going to know the answer to this. <laughs> the evolution of the earth. But you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It's been able to sustain the planet as its own ecosystem has been able to sustain itself and regenerate and come back to life and flourish. And the systems all work. And they all work because they're diverse, too, by the way. Hello, people. Um, and so to me, their answers are here. We already have them. And technology should just aid us in the process of becoming better. I don't think it's the be-all, end-all answer. I absolutely don't think that us all tripping out and going into these metaverses is the solution. <laughs> Let's not dive down there, yeah. though, because that's like a rabbit hole I don't want to go into. I don't want to take the red pill today, okay? <laughs> it's so tempting. 
<laughs> you talked about circular fashion and a number of other examples of innovation. So, mm-hmm. you know, having sat through some of the courses that you've audited at FIT, mm-hmm. what are some examples that you find the most exciting about what you see on the horizon now? I definitely would say the bio design stuff is really cool. Like they're coming out with fabrics made from yeast and sugar proteins and colors being extracted from coral. And then they're putting the protein in an algae and then like growing stuff. These biomaterials, again, (laughs) nature is the source. It's biomimicry. That to me is super cool. I mean, they've already started with the leather, the funky leather and stuff like that. Didn't you guys also use, um, what was the fabric used for the Carl bags? That was cactus leather. It's a biosourced leather, but it's not lab grown. You know, it's still made from the cactus and pulverized and turned into a pulp and made into um, a yarn. These materials are like literally like they could maybe even grow a handbag. Like you put a model and then you could grow the fungus inside the model. And then there's your shoe. (laughs) (laughs) And how water resistant are these things? It sounds a little. Those are really water resistant. (laughs) I mean, if you think about a a mushroom, (laughs) I mean, like the water just rolls off of them. But, you know, some of these are scalable and some of them are going to take time. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing stuff. And there's other too. I mean, this is just coming out of FIT. You know, they're working on this all over the world. I remember I was a judge on a competition panel and there was a a really cool innovation that had microbes that were breaking down fibers. So it wasn't like a machine that was recycling. It was literally microbes that were eating the fibers and breaking them down. And then their excrement was actually a, a, a resource that you could use. Wasn't there something similar with those two women that had the dye company? Weren't they also working with microbes to achieve? Yeah, mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. That's right. Hugh, that's microbes. Again, all of this is like science-based and so cool. Um, it's above my pay grade, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we had also talked recently about someone using mushroom leather. Yeah. There just seems to be more and more examples of people kind of diversifying yeah. their fabric choices for this reason. Yeah. I mean, Stella, I think, um, her whole recent collection of bags, handbags is mushroom leather. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. So, yeah. Yeah, There are a lot of different things to celebrate as far as the changes that are being achieved within the industry already. Oh, for sure. um, Despite how far we have to go. Yes, absolutely. I think what's so exciting about fashion being a catalyst for change is that we touch culture. Mm -hmm. We create movements by what we wear. We say so much by what we wear. What Everybody looks at these events, whether it's the Oscars, the Grammys, a music video, a film, a moment in time, whatever it is. And what are they looking at? The clothing. Mm-hmm. When we think back to a period of time, we think about the clothing and the hair and the makeup. <laughs> it defines a moment. And if fashion could harness the, that power and move it through the supply chain to make it fair and equitable and sustainable. Sky's the limit. We could literally, I am convinced, literally change the world. Absolutely. It's one of the only global vehicles that we all have in common. Exactly. It is. And it's somewhat kind of like wide open. There's not, sadly, there's not enough regulation. But because of that, there's a lot of freedom to do a lot. 
you know? Absolutely. And to the common person who all too often thinks it's a binary system of you're either flawless in your sustainable lifestyle or you don't practice at all. Mm -hmm. What are some easy incremental steps that we can incorporate into our daily life that could ultimately create positive change over time when it comes to things like sustainability? Yeah. Well, first, just shop in your closet, your own closet. Make changes within your own clothing, you know, like I cut hems, I cut off jeans and make jean shorts, you know, it sounds silly, but you're saving like, I don't know, like 32 bathtubs of water. <laughs> you know, It's like, it's crazy. It's easy just to do that shop in your closet, have a swap with friends, resale, buy in vintage. And then be really cognizant of what you buy. If you're going to buy something new, who are you buying it from? Where is it made? What is their stance on environmental responsibility or social responsibility? Are their garment workers being paid fairly? Most everybody has SR reporting now on their website. So read up on these things. Read up on certifications and ask questions to the brand. Put pressure on the brands. And then lastly, be a daily activist. If you get stuff in your mail that's like, sign this petition for XYZ that's for the environment or for human rights, if you believe in it, sign it. Just don't delete it. Do it. Call your senators. Call your congresspeople. Every day we have the power and the choice to do something and be an activist. It's all on us. Government is us. <laughs> Companies are us. It's not like they're out there. They are just other people. So we have the power to do it individually and collectively. We have our homework. We have our <laughs> homework, but it's all good. It's fun. It can be daunting, but I think thinking about it and shifting the way we think can be very exciting. Well, I mean, beautifully said, and I definitely think shifting in perspective is key in everything because all too often... We end up avoiding things that are easily contributed to, some of mm. which you already mentioned. And so I definitely mm -hmm. think it's just about kind of shifting the framework, you know, through which we view these things on a day to day and small steps matter, you know. Yeah, they do. They do. Beautiful. Well, thank you for your time and your wisdom you, and your lovely magic as always. I appreciate thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking good questions. Ooh, my pleasure. <laughs> you make it easy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, Joseph Topmiller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Saw for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week, and for additional content, find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com.